What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. U.S.-Iran prisoner swap underway. Five Americans touched down in Qatar after leaving Tehran. We have the latest on their journey back home. President Biden ready to address the world leaders at the U.N. General Assembly. What's his goal on the world stage as he faces an impeachment inquiry at home? A call from Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. He's asking Elon Musk to build a Tesla factory in his country. We have the details. The auto workers' strike enters its fourth day. Both sides are going back to the negotiation table. Find out how things stand now. The president's son has filed a lawsuit against the IRS. He claims two agents revealed information meant to be kept private. And the top official in the House of Representatives gives his prediction for the 2024 GOP presidential candidate. Find out if his views align with most voters. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, five Americans who have been imprisoned in Iran are heading back home today. Here's Iran's foreign ministry on the swap. Based on the latest information I have, the exchange of prisoners will be done today. Five citizens of the Islamic Republic of Iran will be released from prison. Officials say five prisoners have flown out of Tehran and arrived at Doha, Qatar. According to an anonymous, two U.S. family members also left Tehran. Three Americans, who are publicly known as part of the agreement, have also been imprisoned for more than five years. The identities of the other two have not yet been released. The U.S. government has designated all five as being wrongfully detained as part of the agreement. The $6 billion in Iranian funds held in restricted accounts in South Korea will be transferred to restricted accounts in Qatar. The money came from oil sales that were allowed under the Trump administration. The deal also includes the release of five Iranians in U.S. custody. President Biden has arrived in New York City for the U.N. General Assembly meeting this week. Joining us now live from Washington is NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao. Good afternoon, Iris. What's on the president's agenda as he's scheduled to meet with world leaders? Good afternoon, Chris. So President Biden has a very packed schedule this week while in New York. On Tuesday, he's scheduled to give a speech to address world leaders at the U.N. General Assembly. And he's also holding high-level individual talks with leaders of Brazil as well as well as Ukraine. And his goal this week, the White House says, is to advance U.S. interests and values on a variety of issues, including to call for more support for Ukraine, more investments in developing countries, and to fight climate change. But as Biden's trying to establish this very powerful image on the world stage, he's facing an impeachment inquiry at home. So Biden responded to it on Sunday on his way out of the White House. And the White House also said on Friday that his trip to New York shows that Biden is focused on delivering for American people. Watch. He's focused on delivering for the American people. That's true in terms of what he's trying to get done here at home, and it's definitely true in terms of what he's trying to deliver in the way of security uh, at the U.N. General Assembly in supporting Ukraine and, and moving forward. So that's what he's focused on. 
And it's worth mentioning that at this year's UN General Assembly, where about 150 world leaders will gather, both China and Russia's top leaders will again be absent, just like how they skipped the G20 summit in India just last week. So we see that it could provide Biden with a diplomatic opening to make inroads with developing countries in Africa as well as in Asia. But we are also aware that Chinese top official Han Zheng is still scheduled to meet with the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken at this U.N. General Assembly. So we could expect more news to come out from that meeting. And on Thursday, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is expected to come here to Washington, D.C. to meet with President Biden at the White House and to meet with congressional leaders on the Capitol. So we know that his visit, his visit this time does come at a time when Congress is battling over funding for the government, especially as the deadline is approaching before a government shutdown. And that debate, of course, also includes a discussion over whether or not or really how much to continue funding Ukraine. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Iris. Beyond the geopolitical tensions, what else is at the center of this year's UN General Assembly? One analyst says artificial intelligence is on top of the list. Certainly the most important new topic is technology, disruptive technology and AI. We've just seen Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the head of the EU, in her State of the EU, um, talk about the need for an intergovernmental panel on artificial intelligence under the auspices of the United Nations. We do not have institutions or architecture yet for AI. It is moving very quickly. It is dominated by a handful of companies. How are governments gonna to respond to that? What kind of institutions? This is a green space. It is a space that largely is absent rules, is absent institutions. So that's very important to watch. Ian Bremmer added that in the face of global challenges, the United Nations and the annual summit are becoming increasingly important. He emphasized global leadership of the superpowers. The United Nations is looking favorably on Taiwan. A top official was asked last week about Taiwan's appeal to be included in the body. Here's a look. Madam uh, DSG, do you believe that Taiwan's exclusion from the UN under the current guidelines uh, hold back implementation of the 2030 goals? I think exclusion of anyone holds back the goals. We said leave no one behind, and I think member states have to find a way to make sure that we are not in that position where we're excluding people. Um, every person matters, whether it's Taiwan or otherwise, and I, and I think it's really important for member states to find a solution to that. Taiwan has long called on the United Nations to admit it as a member, but under a 1971 UN resolution, only the People's Republic of China is recognized as the legitimate representative of China to the group. A UN deputy spokesperson added that UN sticks to the One China policy. Taiwan has its own government independent of communist China, but Beijing claims it as part of its territory and threatens to take over the island by force if necessary. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met with China's top diplomat Wang Yi in Malta over the weekend. The White House says talks were candid, substantive, and constructive. Some issues discussed were global and regional security, the war in Ukraine, and Taiwan. Sullivan reportedly noted the importance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait during the meetings. Taiwan's defense ministry said today that it detected 103 Chinese aircraft and nine warships around the island after the visit. 
It called the number a recent high. A Biden administration official says talks showed limited early signs that military communications between the two countries could start to be restored. The White House suggested more meetings between the U.S. and China will come over the next few months. China's top diplomat Wang Yi is starting a four-day trip to Russia today. He will meet with Security Council Secretary Nikolai Petrushev and his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov. The visit is expected to strengthen political ties between the two nations. Wang is expected to lay the groundwork for Putin's visit to Beijing for the third Belt and Road Forum following an invitation by regime leader Xi Jinping earlier this year. Turkey's president is asking Elon Musk to build a Tesla factory in Turkey. According to Turkish officials today, and reportedly, Musk is considering it. He said Tesla is already working with many suppliers in Turkey and that Turkey is one of the most important candidates for its next factory. The two reportedly met in New York while Turkey's president is in the U.S. to attend the U.N. General Assembly. Turkish officials also say the country is open to cooperate on Starlink and artificial intelligence. Starlink is the satellite inter internet venture of Musk's SpaceX. Musk reportedly hopes to get a license to offer Starlink satellite services in the country. Musk said in May that Tesla would probably pick a location for a new factory by the end of this year. Coming up, Trump-era DOJ official Jeffrey Clark is seeking to move his Georgia case to federal court. A hearing is happening today. And former President Trump at odds with an unexpected demographic. Find out how an election pundit says this will affect his polling after the break. Welcome back. Hunter Biden is suing the IRS, alleging a breach of his privacy rights as a taxpayer. He says two agents divulged details about his financial matters by sharing information with both the media and Congress. Hunter Biden's finances and taxes have been under a nearly five-year investigation. The agents accused the Justice Department of mishandling the probe. Hunter Biden's lawsuit says the agents revealed information about the investigation and his taxes that laws aim to keep secret. It says the disclosures occurred on more than 20 nationally televised interviews and numerous public statements. Trump-era Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark is facing off in court today against Fulton County prosecutors. The hearing is over his motion to move his case to federal court. Clark was one of the 19 defendants charged in Trump's Georgia election case. Prosecutors say he used his senior role at the Justice Department to help Trump after the 2020 election, despite objections from his bosses. He argues he was acting on behalf of the federal government at the time. Clark has pleaded not guilty. He is one of the five defendants seeking to bring his case to federal court. U.S. District Judge Steve Jones is presiding over today's hearing. Earlier this month, he rejected a similar request by former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said who he thinks will become the next Republican nominee for president. Do his views coincide with the polls? 
President Trump is stronger today than he was in 2016 or 2020. And there's a reason why. They saw the policies of what he was able to do with America, putting America first, making our economy stronger. We didn't have inflation. We, we didn't have these battles around the world. We didn't look weak around the world. He said in a Fox Business interview that former President Trump will likely be the party's choice for 2024. In primary polls, Trump is far ahead of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and other GOP candidates. After announcing a bid for the White House in May, DeSantis failed to gain enough momentum to match Trump's polling numbers as of Sunday. A real clear politics average of polls shows former President Trump has over 56 percent support compared to DeSantis, who has just over 12 percent. According to a Quinnipiac poll, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, former Vice President Mike Pence, and all other GOP presidential candidates are polling in the single digits. Hardline conservatives aren't happy with former President Trump. This over his statements regarding abortion on NBC's Meet the Press. Roger Simon, director of the Presidential Rollercoaster 2024, weighs in on Trump's latest controversy. Roger Simon, thank you for joining us again. Former President Donald Trump had an interview with Meet the Press over the weekend. What's your overall takeaway of that interview? My overall takeaway is that Trump, like the rest of us, uh, doesn't is an inconsistent human being. But when I say the rest of us, I mean virtually every human being on the planet where they are and meet the press. And that is that as you talk for a little while, things are complicated and issues are not, you know, and the press is out there waiting to jump on you for uh, one part of a statement when the other part of the statement is ignored. Explain that. Well, what I mean is he was being asked about uh, very complicated things like how he thought of of whether the, the, the election had a problem, whether it was his idea or the idea of his lawyer. Now, in the real world, it easily could be both. But they, but the idea of a, of a show like Meet the Press, which I have despised for years, is that they're looking to trap him on one or the other. And it's not one or the other. It's not one or the other on a lot of things. Anyway, that's what my view. Okay, excellent. And, you know, during the interview, Trump said it was a terrible thing and a terrible mistake for former uh, Governor Ron DeSantis to sign a six-week abortion ban um, now, hardline conservatives are upset over these and other comments of his regarding abortion. What is Trump's stance on abortion essentially here? What's he saying? I think I happen to agree with Trump on abortion, but he's talked a long time about it. That the great thing about Ray Roe v. Wade is that it, it, overturning it was it returned everything to the states the way it was originally intended. Okay, that's fine. All the people who have different attitudes on abortion can now deal with it and in their home states, which is actually where the abortions would or would not normally take place. And so Trump is being sensible, all these other people are being hardline. That's my view. Okay. Do you think his comments could impact his presidential run? I mean, he's getting a lot of pushback right now. No, 
<laughs> you asked for a short response. You just got one. Uh, Trump is lapping the field, in the, and you will find no difference next week in his uh, poll numbers. None. And CNN seems to be casting doubt on Biden regarding, you know, considering his age, um, the impeachment drama. What's the significance of their reporting on this? Well, I think they're preparing the way, uh, being loyal Democrats at CNN, which is about as loyalist an operation as you can make, they are preparing the way for the removal of, of Biden that will take place later, in my prediction, as I've written for the uh, Epic Times, because I think they want to delay that so that someone can be put in at the Democratic convention, probably Michelle Obama, but possibly someone else, uh, and to save, to save the day, because Biden's not capable of another term. Everybody knows it. But they don't want to, for a number of reasons, take him out now. So they're just preparing the, preparing the ground, as it were. All right. Roger Simon, director of the Presidential Roller Coaster 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Congresswoman Jennifer Waxton is retiring after this term. The Virginia Democrat cited health concerns in her announcement today. Waxton was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease a few months ago, but now she says her doctor has modified her diagnosis to supranuclear palsy, which she describes as, quote, Parkinson's on steroids. Wexton was first elected in her Northern Virginia congressional district in 2018, flipping the district from red to blue. That helped Democrats retake control of the House of Representatives. Wexton won re-election in 2022, keeping the district blue. But without her as an incumbent in 2024, it could be more competitive for Republicans. Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake announces she has filed an appeal in her Arizona election case. She says there is new evidence. Lake wrote on social media platform X, quote, new evidence produced by Maricopa strongly suggests county officials intentionally sabotaged the 2022 general election, then gave false testimony attempting to cover up their misconduct. She says that election mismanagement led to numerous rejected ballots and that it deprived the vote for tens of thousands of mostly Republican Arizona voters. Neither the elections manager in question nor Maricopa County has publicly responded. Since November, Lake and her team have filed multiple lawsuits and appeals in a bid to challenge the election. So far, all of them have been rejected by multiple judges. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, find out why an entrepreneur says the United Auto Worker Union strike is pro-capitalist and why the Biden administration's policies are at odds with the demands. And actress Drew Barrymore decides to pause her new talk show, which was set to premiere soon. Find out why she reversed course. And a terrifying moment caught on camera. A Massachusetts state trooper was violently dragged along the road by a fleeing car. That and more when we return.
Thanks for staying with us. As the United Auto Workers Union strike enters its fourth day, Union President Sean Fain said on Monday that there were minimal conversations over the weekend and that they still have a long way to go. Joining me live is NTD Business's Don Ma. How are you today, Don? I'm doing pretty good, Chris. Uh, how are you this afternoon? Doing pretty well. What's the latest from the UAW president? Well, Chris, Fain this morning actually just rejected help from the Biden administration in negotiation talks. So last week, we got news that top officials were deployed to help facilitate the talks. But Fain told MSNBC this morning that there's actually no role for the officials brokering an, uh, an agreement. Um, so that's this morning. And over the weekend, Stellantis improved their offer to 21% in pay raises. Um, I mean, I think that's a lot uh, if we think about um, how, how we get raises uh, across the board. But it seems like uh, Fain doesn't think it's, uh, it's a lot. Mr. Fain um, sees something completely different. He gave it a hard pass saying uh, it's definitely a no. Uh, the auto, United Auto Workers and Stellantis are resuming bargaining talks this morning as well. So we'll see what happens. Now, Don, I know Fain is asking for 40% pay raises for UAW workers, but how is he justifying this? Um, so this is what he said. He says the reason that they're asking for 40% uh, is because in the last four years alone, the CEO pays went up 40% um, and they're already millionaires, he says. So basically, he's saying that if Detroit's three automakers uh, raise CEO pay by 40%, then workers should get the same. Um, I mean, it probably shouldn't be that simple. He's really comparing himself to the CEOs. Uh, the UAW has now lowered its demand to 36%, but uh, the, the two sides still remains far apart in contract talks. And Chris, let me just point something else out. Uh, it seems to me that Fain actually perhaps dislikes the rich a little bit because in one of his rallies, he said that he wants to wreck the billionaire uh, economy. I mean, that's really neither here nor there. I mean, if you're wanting to have fair wages for workers, uh, what does that have to do with wrecking the billionaire economy? It just seems to me that he has uh, something else uh, on top of uh, fair wages on his agenda. Don, what's the reaction of the three automakers to this strike so far? Um, well, General Motors CEO Mary Barra says that uh, she doesn't she doesn't even know where Fane got that 40 percent number from because uh, executive pay is actually very complicated to calculate. The, uh, the automakers have said uh, the UAW demands could hike the current mid 60 per hour labor cost to more than one hundred and fifty dollars an hour. And Ford CEO said that a 40 percent UAW wage hike would put us out of business. That's what he said. And GM as well said the UAW wage and benefits proposals will cost it $100 billion. Um, you know, I think Fain should really think about his demands because if the company goes out of business, you know, forget about wage increases, the workers would be out of a job entirely. And, you know, on the topic of uh, out of a job, we're already seeing that. On Friday, Ford said it was indefinitely laying off 600 workers at a Michigan plant because of the impact of the strike. Um, and GM told some 2,000 workers at a Kansas car plant that their factory would likely be shut down next week for a lack of parts. All right. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you, Chris.
The UAW strike is pro-capitalist, according to entrepreneur Jeffrey Tucker. The Biden administration is forcing automakers to produce more electric vehicles, which require less labor and are less profitable, factors hurting the strikers' efforts to get a pay raise. Let's hear Tucker's take on the situation. Jeffrey Tucker, thank you for joining us again. It's a pleasure. The Wall Street Journal says the UAW strike is a product of the Biden administration's electric vehicle sales quota. What's your take on that? Uh, that's exactly right. I had uh, been looking at this for the previous few days, and something's very shocking about the, the strike. It's not like any I've ever seen in my lifetime. This is the, uh, the workers striking for the company's most profitable products and against the idea that there would be a retooling for their least profitable product, products. So, I mean, this it, if you can imagine such a thing, this is a pro-capitalist uh, strike. So it, it, it does disrupt everything we think about unions. So how do we arrive at this point? Uh, well, it, you know, the car industry has been in trouble for a very long time, and the way out was, of course, to build uh, better cars that are based on what consumers want, which is gas, not EVs. Uh, the consumers just don't want these things. It's a luxury good, and Tesla's basically cornered the market. But the Biden administration is pushing with this supposed green energy transition and it's, they want to retool everything. The mucky mucks at the company accepted the big bucks of the Biden administration to retool everything, and the workers know exactly what's going on. It means they're going to lose their jobs, and the whole American car industry is going to go into upheaval, and they're not they're going to be left out in the cold. So that's what, in the end, that's what the the strike is really about. It's about uh, job protections against these kind of this sort of central plan that the Biden administration is imposing. On the companies, so this is a major problem for the Biden administration and a major problem for the Green New Deal. I'm glad that this moment has finally arrived. Yeah, it's interesting because President Joe Biden claims to be the most pro-union president ever, yet his policies seem to be at odds with the unions here. Yeah, this is very interesting in terms of the political meaning of this whole thing. The Democrats have always been able to count on labor union support as we've seen over many, many years, decades, really, uh, all the way since the New Deal, if not earlier. Uh, but this is different. Uh, we've seen uh, union members starting to uh, drift more and more towards the Republicans and towards the right. And this, this particular strike underscores the point. They are fighting for their rights of the company to be profitable. They want to make profitable uh, uh, cars that consumers want. They don't want to make junk that can't sell. Uh, these companies are losing tens of thousands, as much as $60,000 per car on what they sell, and the workers know exactly what that means. So union politics is, is uh, in the process of, of shifting, for sure. Now let's look at the broader impact of this strike. The Biden administration is mandating that EVs make up two-thirds of automakers, automaker sales by 2032. How could these EV production quotas affect the international competitiveness of the U.S. automaker industry? The Biden administration is trying to force these things on consumers, but consumers are unwilling. Fortunately, in this country, we do have a system in which uh, consumers uh, can choose to buy something or not buy something. And they don't want these cars because they're not good in long distances. They're not good in cold weather. Uh, they reduce the independence of the, of the driver. They're not as reliable. They're very hard to fix and so on. It's a luxury good for 
for urban uh, dwellers uh, living in 15-minute cities. We know this, and there is a market for it, uh, and Tesla's figured out how to serve that market. But these EVs that the Biden administration is forcing these big three automakers to, 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 to make, are, there's just no demand for them. And I don't know how they manage to, to get, get around this problem unless you make gas so expensive and gas cars so rare that they go up in price and eventually EVs become affordable. Well, I wish we had time to go into that, but thank you very much, Jeffrey Tucker. Okay. My Actress Drew Barrymore is calling off the premiere of her talk show after backlash amid the Hollywood strikes. The Writers and Actors Union accused her of violating the strike by taping new episodes. Here's more. Yielding to the outcry of criticism, Barrymore on Sunday posted a message on Instagram saying, quote, I have listened to everyone, and I am making the decision to pause the show's premiere until the strike is over. I have no words to express my deepest apologies to anyone I have hurt. The message was a complete reversal from one posted just two days earlier, in which Barrymore, in a tearful video, explained that she would proceed with filming because so many jobs were at stake. I deeply apologize to writers. I deeply apologize to unions. There's a huge question of the why. Why am I doing this? <laughs> well, um, I certainly couldn't have expected this kind of attention. Um, and um, we aren't going to break rules and we will be in compliance. I wanted to do this because, as I said, this is bigger than me and there are other people's jobs on the line. The post was deleted later on Friday. Crew members on the show have been out of work since the writer's strike began in May. Actors have been picketing since July. The ongoing strike in Hollywood has hit one group hard, janitors. A 43-year-old mother of two says she worries about her family's future after being laid off from a movie studio. Yolanda Sendejas, a 43-year-old mother of two, is embroidering handmade napkins in hopes of selling them for a small profit. She needs the income because Sendejas lost her job as a studio janitor in May when the union representing Hollywood's writers went on strike. The ongoing writer and actor strikes could not have come at a worse time for Sendejas, who lost her health insurance after she was laid off. I'm diabetic and I have to get my medicine, so it's a little difficult because medicines bought outside are expensive. Then you start to think your savings are not great, your medication is expensive, and other expenses to cover are difficult. Sitting in her small Los Angeles apartment, recovering from surgery, which removed a non-malignant tumor, Sendeja said she worries about her family's future. I feel bad thinking that many months have passed and that there are still months to go, and that I keep thinking about what am I going to do? What is going to happen? My husband's income is not enough to cover all the expenses. And as I mentioned before, I start to think because I have my children. Sendejas is not alone. The union representing janitors in July joined the Writers Guild and the SAG-AFTRA Actors Union at a rally outside Netflix's offices. The people want to know! The 
The janitors there said they were falling behind on their bills and expressed worry for taking on debt. President of the janitors' union, David Huerta, said the studios were still cutting jobs. We're aligned because we all depend on studio production. What's not right is CEOs who are reaping in billions and billions of dollars of profit off the backs of these labor now wants to be able to set the terms going forward, especially in the, in the, in the face of AI. Actors went on strike in July, joining writers to demand that streaming sites and film studios improve their contracts and impose curbs on the use of artificial intelligence. So far, the fierce labor disputes are dragging on with no end in sight, and thousands of laid-off janitors remain in limbo. An officer's body camera captured the moment he was violently dragged by a suspect trying to flee a traffic stop. The Massachusetts state trooper was trying to stop the car for traffic violations. Footage shows him clinging to the vehicle briefly before falling into the street as the car races away. He made a lucky escape in the end, suffering minor injuries. The Massachusetts State Police have arrested the suspect. He's being charged with assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, as well as trafficking in fentanyl, among other charges. Still to come, a celebration of culture, food, and great community. New York's largest ever moon festival drew tens of thousands, including state officials. And beer, sausage, and lederhosen. Germany's annual Oktoberfest celebration is underway in Munich. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Back to the news. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Five Americans held by Iran are on their way home. The group have landed in Qatar and are flying to the U.S. later today. President Biden is in New York City for the U.N. General Assembly meeting this week. He's set to meet leaders of Brazil, Israel, and Ukraine. Issues on the agenda include climate change and supporting Ukraine. Turkey's president is asking Elon Musk to build a Tesla factory in his country, and Musk may be considering this plan. The two reportedly met in New York while the Turkish president is attending the UN General Assembly. Hunter Biden is suing the IRS. He's accusing agents of divulging secret information in the investigation against him and revealing personal tax information. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy predicted who will be the GOP nominee for president. He picks Trump. His choice goes along with the majority of Republicans in a recent poll. Members of United Auto Workers Union are striking for the fourth day now. Negotiations are underway, but both sides are still far apart from a deal. Signs of life sprouting from a 150-year-old banyan tree in Lahaina, Hawaii. That's more than a month after it was charred by Maui's deadly wildfires. The historic tree was considered an integral part of life and history in Lahaina. Its once majestic branches, plentiful leaves, and dangling vines stretched an entire city block, and it stood more than 60 feet tall. The tree was left smoldering and badly scorched, though still standing, but last week, green shoots of hope appeared. The Hawaii Department of Land and Natural Resources posted a video showing the beloved tree sprouting leaves. 
The wildfires that ravaged Maui killed 97 people. A signature event in upstate New York drew nearly 20,000 visitors over the weekend. That was the Moon Festival, hosted by New Century Films Company, featuring traditional Chinese performances and authentic Asian cuisine. This year's event was the largest ever, with over 200 booths participating. Let's take a look. It's very interesting. I, I, there's a lot of a lot of new things that I'm learning about about the culture. Colorful lanterns in a giant moon palace float drew in locals from diverse communities, showcasing the beauty of Chinese culture. This year, many Western friends came, and I see that they particularly enjoy our traditional Chinese culture. As a Chinese person, I feel especially proud. It's wonderful. A lot of great food, a lot of nice people. We're having a great time. The two-day event was filled with rich entertainment activities, attracting a large number of people to watch and take photos. Forty booths delighted visitors with global flavors. The lo mein and the barbecue, I mean, uh, skewered chicken. Scallion pancakes are awesome. New York State Senator James Scoofus and New York Assembly Minority Whip Carl Ravenek presented awards to the event. Scoofus echoed the tagline, kindness is cool, from a new online platform known as Ganjing World. Kindness is cool. We need more kindness, we need more love, uh, we need more thoughtfulness. The event is getting immensely, immensely popular. You're really providing a, a great community, family-oriented event. We we're happy to celebrate with you. Other officials, including Congressman Patrick Ryan and the Orange County Legislature, through Majority Leader Thomas Fagione, sent over proclamations recognizing the Moon Festival. NTD News, New York. Visitors from around the globe are reveling in Munich for Germany's annual Oktoberfest. The festival celebrates Bavarian culture complete with beer, sausage and lederhosen. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on this year's German gathering. The kegs have finally been tapped at this year's Oktoberfest. The world's most famous beer festival kicked off in Munich on Saturday. Bavaria's regional minister Markus Zuder is excited. Today is just a great day for the whole of Bavaria and Germany. We are the calling card for joie de vivre. Nowhere else in Germany, maybe even the whole world, is there a party like this one. That's why we get so many visitors from all over the place, which we are happy about. The festival features a number of Bavarian traditions. Visitors drink beer and feast on sausage, schnitzel and other German grub. I am super happy to be here and I'm about to go and eat a roast chicken, which is my favorite food here. I wish you all a wonderful Wiesen and may everything stay peaceful and bon appetit. Oktoberfest attracts some six million visitors every year, so the true enthusiasts get there early. I started getting excited about this weeks ago as I have been preparing for ages. Last year I fought tooth and nail to get this spot at the front, and this year I'm all the more happy to have had it right from the start. I was already here at 7 a.m. Munich Mayor Dieter Reiter hopes all goes well. My main wish is, as always, and this is not just a platitude, to have a peaceful Wiesen where nothing bad happens, that everyone has fun here, gets home safely, and at most needs two or three aspirin the next morning. Visitors and proud local Bavarians are wearing their finest traditional garb. Men don knee-length leather trousers known as lederhosen. Women wear corseted dresses called dirndl. Traditionally, if the apron bow is tied to the left, it means a lady is single. A bow tied to the right means she's taken. 
It's just something special to see everyone in traditional dress and the marching bands and the horses. It is just something really special and unique. Oktoberfest this year runs through October 3rd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Not all wiener dogs are winners, but all winners are wieners. 100 dashing dachshunds competed for the top dog at the annual running of the wiener dogs in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's part of the city's annual Oktoberfest Cincinnati festivities. This year's race attracted 100 purebred and mixed-breed competitors adorned in hot dog costumes. The wieners wriggled down the race route in several heats, cheered on by an enthusiastic crowd. A three-year-old adopted doxy named Ruby took this year's title, winning a year's supply of dog food. So Ruby's been training her whole life for this. Oktoberfest Cincinnati, which highlights the abundant German heritage of southwestern Ohio, is anticipated to attract approximately 700,000 attendees. Feeling drowsy after lunch is common, but a few simple tips can help. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. At some point, everyone has felt like they could really use a nap after lunch. The post-meal feeling of tiredness can make it hard to concentrate on afternoon work. Let's look at the reasons behind the afternoon slump. We'll also get some easy tips on how to get rid of this fatigue. Our body has an internal biological clock called the circadian rhythm. It helps to regulate sleep-wake patterns. Circadian rhythms are responsible for the experience of feeling awake at times and drowsy at others. According to the Sleep Foundation, our body's strongest sleep-related cues are felt shortly after midnight. They are felt again to a lesser degree between 1 and 4 p.m. This aligns with the practice of enjoying an afternoon siesta. But there's more to it than biological cues. What you eat for lunch can also play a significant role. When the amounts of dietary saturated fat and carbohydrates increase in a meal, so does the degree of daytime sleepiness. Combining the two-in-one meal, think burger and fries, may intensify the effect. It's not just the type of food eaten, but the amount too. This can impact how you feel for an hour or so after eating. Eating large heavy meals seems to result in a stronger desire for a nap shortly afterward than eating small meals. Not getting enough uninterrupted sleep at night can lead to excess daytime sleepiness. Even food intolerances can also exacerbate the problem. Here are some simple steps that can help to stabilize energy levels. Replace refined and simple carbohydrates such as white bread, donuts and sodas with complex carbs such as whole grain bread, brown rice, beans and vegetables. Try to eat a smaller portion at lunchtime and then have an afternoon snack instead of consuming a single large meal. Staying hydrated throughout the day can also help to ward off fatigue. Getting out for an after-lunch walk is also a great way to keep energy levels stable throughout the afternoon. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.